Montana State House Representative Jennifer Carlson joins us in the studio this week to talk about her success in securing medical freedom in Montana while struggling to confront a Republican governor who inexplicably vetoes bills designed to provide the most basic protections for children. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Mm. Man, you got me on this one. By the way, this doesn't sound that old. If you get this one, you would get major kudos. (laughs) It's a brand new song. Yeah, well, so it sounds very boy bandish. So it's not. Listen to the chorus. Hey, all right, there we go. Right there, Montana Scott. Our special guest. Yes, I Special want to see guess. Montana Sky again, too. Yeah, I bet right. you do. So the artist, no guesses? No, no, no clue. Can't tell from the auto-tune? <laughs> <laughs> Jonas no Brothers. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Jonas Brothers' brand new record. Yeah, Gary, if, it, actually, if you got that, I would have been floored. I'm like, there's <laughs> no way that Gary's going to get no. a brand new Jonas Brothers no. song. I probably wouldn't have recognized Jonas Brothers to begin with, but um, anyway... Not that I have anything against the Jonas Brothers. It's just not really my flavor, you know. Yeah, but that I, did sound kind of kind of cool. Yeah, I, it's I actually like it. that was actually rated the third by Billboard. They rated that the third best song on the new record, and oh. um, <laughs> and I'm glad because I actually listened to the record today for the first time. And I kind of like that song better than the others. They've got a song on there called Waffle House, believe it or not. Wow, which was the first sing? No, second single. I like Waffle I've been to Waffle House lots of times. I was going to say, Waffle House, you might have got that one. <laughs> <laughs> I've just never been to Montana, though. I, re- I would love to go, but Waffle House would be very familiar. Uh, well, Montana, uh, Gary, before you introduce our guest, Jennifer Carlson, I have two little bits about Montana that tie directly or indirectly into our program today. Number one, now I know Yellowstone's in Wyoming, but are you familiar with the program Yellowstone? This it, it's become basically on Paramount the biggest television show in the history of television. I haven't I, seen it. I've, <clears throat> I've heard of it. Kevin Costner. <laughs> so what's interesting is a piece came out today. HBO actually passed on that television show. And when I read to you the reason why they passed, I'm very curious for your reaction as a Montana resident. Right. So this is the <clears throat> one of the um, co-creators of Yellowstone. He says, quote, we go to lunch in some snazzy place in West LA. And he asks the vice president of HBO, he says, why don't you want to make it? And the VP of HBO says, look, man, it just feels so middle America. We're HBO. We're avant-garde. We're trendsetters. This feels like a step backward. And frankly, I've got to be honest. I don't think anyone should be living out there in rural Montana, it should be a park or something. End quote. Wow. Now, <laughs> so you want my reaction? I want your honest, raw reaction to that comment from Hollywood. My first reaction is, I don't think anybody should be living there either. <laughs> wow. Especially if they moved in there, because we have a lot of, we have a lot of new people. As a matter of fact, 
I've never seen that show. I don't watch TV, but I've heard it's really popular. It's not a very good depiction of who we are. So people come there and. So your opinion is basically, well, yeah, stay stay in California, right? Leave us alone, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. So is could. that the influx is the left coast and not and not necessarily for good reasons? So we have two categories of um, immigrants. One is uh, refugees, and one is missionaries. <laughs> and <laughs> that's a great way to describe it. <laughs> I don't mind the refugees really because they came to Montana for freedom, but the ones that really gravel me are the ones who come in because. You know, they allegedly didn't like where they were, but they moved to Montana to make it how it was where they came from. Which is which is brilliant. I mean, it makes total sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's They've why. been doing that in Tennessee, you know, from New York, from California. It's just, why do all of the states that have a traditional backbone, why does this keep happening? I don't know, but I, but I feel like, though, I, I will just qualify that by... Um, of course, I can't say with 100% certainty, but I feel like the great majority of folks that are moving here from those places to Tennessee, at least by virtue of the ones that I've met, uh, seem to be the refugees, which I'm incredibly thankful for. And it's interesting. You'll find oftentimes, especially when we're fighting for uh, certain bills and, and conservative things in our legislature, it is those refugees that are willing to put up a fight that Tennesseans sometimes won't because I sometimes I consider the homegrown folks sort of like the frog in the boiling water. You know, we yeah. we yeah. say it all the time here. Nothing bad happens in Tennessee. It's all good. And these refugees come here with eyes wide open, having just lost their home, right? And they're they're ready to to go at it. Yeah, that's that's we've seen some of that too with um, especially with the medical freedom, the people who came here from California. I'm assuming you know who Richard Pan is from California, yeah, that the name. senator with the really great bill that said there are no exemptions from vaccines. Oh, that was his. <laughs> Got it. <clears throat> so he was pretty bad for their, well, maybe he was pretty good for their housing market. I don't know. <laughs> so let me give one more, one more taste of Montana, and then uh, we'll get into our discussion uh, again with Jennifer Carlson. You are a Montana State House representative, right? Which I'll let Gary give you the official intro. But I thought this was interesting because it just came out yesterday. Uh, we've talked about the invasion at the border last week with Ken Cuccinelli, and I just I just found it fascinating that this week this tweet came out just yesterday. So for anybody who confuses the invasion with being limited to California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, the U.S. attorney in Montana yesterday just announced that a 22-year-old Mexican citizen admitted – to trafficking 29 pounds of meth in Bozeman, which is close to your home, and Billings, Montana. So border security is not just about the border states. It's about all the interior states as well, isn't it? It is. And and um, Austin uh, Knudsen, our attorney general, is a rock star. He's taking this issue very seriously. I think a lot of people don't make the connection between drug trafficking, human trafficking, and Montana. We are as far away from the border as you can get. But you also have to remember that we're right next to the other border. Yeah, I was just going to say that. And so there's a lot of traffic that's actually not destined for Montana. It's destined for the northern border. So it goes straight through and actually was just at a opioid conference a couple of weeks ago. And in Denver, actually, and my county made their map, which is where Bozeman is, 
Um, and the corridor of the interstate, that's where the big busts are. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's easy to travel through Montana. Mm -hmm. You know, you can drive miles without seeing a person on a secondary highway. But they are taking it seriously. But our, I think he, he said that our drug interdiction has gone up thousands of percent in the last several years. It's interesting you say that. You talk about the highway. So I-90 yeah. in particular, right? You know, Gary, that happens on 840 all the time. There's there's drug traffic coming through Memphis, which is a hotbed in the state of Tennessee. I get to see on a regular basis drug stops on 840 and with an increasing um, in increasing measure, unfortunately, but yeah, they take the main the main drags and and go right through. Interestingly, too, you you mentioned uh, your AG's Knutson, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I think back through COVID, it in my mind it was Knutson out of Montana and Jeff Landry out of Louisiana mm-hmm. that were really taking the fight to the federal government and taking the lead on pushing back against all of the mandates. So thank you for that. Yeah, for well, we thank him. I, I mean. I just said Austin. I couldn't even think of his last name really fast because in Montana, he's he's like Madonna or Cher. Everyone knows <laughs> the Austin, <first> name. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Even my 20-year-old kids are like, he needs to run for governor. Wow. And um, I think Jeff Landry is running for governor I hope in he Louisiana. Does. You know, I hope he, he does. Yeah. There's, a, there's a couple of those attorney generals that if you want to talk about backbones, mm-hmm. they have one. And that's refreshing. Well, I believe we have one now. We, we've gotten a new attorney general over the last year. His name is Jonathan Scrimetti. And um, so far on this show, um, we've, we've been fairly impressed by what he's done. And interestingly, we just pa- he, he made this request, and it did pass this legislative session, and so it was introduced in the budget. They expanded his budget literally so that he can hire more people to sue the federal government. <laughs> That was okay, I like that it. Awesome. <laughs> That's the stated goal. So I'm like, yes, we we want more of that here in Tennessee. Well, I'm I'm really excited, Jennifer, to have you on the show today. This is and and for our audience, uh, if you don't know, this is Representative Jennifer Carlson. She's a, a state rep, District 69. Do, do I remember that right? You did in Montana uh, in the House, and we met. I, I reached out to you um, in 2021 because some of you may recall me mentioning this. I call it the Montana bill. Uh, It's HB 702, uh, which passed in May of 2021. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think still the only state in the union to pass a law that restricts any employer from mandating any shot as a condition of employment. Not, Not just COVID, but your bill restricts that employer from mandating a flu shot or or any shot as a condition of employment, right? That's correct. Has any other state, to your knowledge, passed such a law since 2021? I don't know of any. I know of a couple states that have tried to do something like it, like 702 Light. Like I think Tennessee really happy about their bill, but I'm kind of sad about the work because you guys should have the votes to pass that. You, you think? <laughs> yeah. You think the supermajority? No, not enough. No, huh? <laughs> I'm shocked you would say that. Can't believe it. Uh, look, and so well, I do mean it with all love, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, well, we're we're jealous here because we've we've tried now several times to get that bill passed this year. 
knowing that we would not get that passed, this year we tried just to secure religious exemptions for employees um, on that basis, and that also failed in committee. So uh, again, the, the the stated reason in committee was that uh, we don't regulate private businesses here in Tennessee, and uh, freedom is that employers should be able to make you do whatever they want to do, and if you don't like it, go get another job. That's that's so, that's conservatism here in Tennessee. So I just want to say I hear that all the time too, from especially from our moderate solution, whatever mm-hmm. euphemism you want to make for people who call themselves Republicans that are not actually interested in the Constitution, but. When they say that, I just laugh. They can literally tell you how tall your toilet is mm-hmm. and how many parking places you can have, you know, how late you can stay open and what age your employees can yeah. be. You got to have an elevator. But we can't, we can't tell businesses what to do. Like, if that was the case, I would trade that, right? I would trade it. If, you, <laughs> if the government could no longer tell businesses what to do, I don't know. But actually wrote that bill in 2019 before COVID was invented because... I did not know that, really. Yeah, because what what the impetus for that bill was... I love... Did you catch, I, did you I catch what she said? Say same thing. Before COVID, COVID was, was invented. invented. <laughs> love it. Yes. Okay. Well, the thing is, nurses have been being fired all over the country for years because they don't want a flu shot. The flu shot is mm-hmm. one of the biggest medical hoaxes. Yep. Absolutely useless. And so I just wanted nurses to stop being fired because they didn't want a flu shot. And actually, when I wrote that bill, it was a pretty pie-in-the-sky bill. And if the first iteration of that bill was actually 415, and it died on a tie in the House because we can't tell businesses what to do. <laughs> well, then everything really blew up after the first bill failed, I think it was in March, And in April, but I think it was April 1st, one of the biggest hospitals in Montana sent out a memo to all their employees that if you don't have a COVID vaccine by April 30th, you will be fired on May 1st. And so that just unleashed the fury of the people. Mm. That's not okay. We don't don't do that. This is America. I, I think that there's some people that just really forget the most basic things about living in this country. And you know me, Gary, I'm not super politically correct. <laughs> That's why you're on the show, by the way. <laughs> so I, it was difficult for me a lot of times. I, I stood up, this is only my second term, my second session this year, and I actually stood up a couple of weeks into the session, and I, I was so flabbergasted. I just literally <clears throat> said, I can't believe that we're even having this conversation out loud <laughs> because I... I look at some of these ideas that you hear from people who are supposed to care about your freedom and be Republicans and even Democrats should care about freedom. They, you know, they're all about my body, my choice. And they don't mean that. They mean something else by that. But it's not it doesn't have anything to do with freedom or your right to to body autonomy or um, your own health decisions or anything. And. I just get so, so frustrated that by the time this bill got to, 
house floor for the second reading, I literally went to the king of the rhinos downstairs and I he was sitting in a chair. <laughs> king of the rhinos. Sorry. No. So, no. So you, have, do you, you have rhino wars too in Montana? It's not just a, a unique to Tennessee that we're dealing with here. No, we I don't. I love how you have titles for them too. Well, no, we don't because most... <laughs> Is there a queen of the rhinos? A, a no. prince? And... Well, there's no queen, I don't think, but um, no, we don't have a war, Gary, and that's the problem. We have people tiptoeing around not wanting to offend oh. them because they're going to make a deal and you you don't want to piss them off because they have all this power. And I'm like, Psh, I want to piss them off. They're pissing me off. Yeah. Or you'll, you, you're, I, you'll, you'll lose your committee position or your chairmanship or whatever the, well, the, the threat might the be. The thing in Montana is the rhinos do not have the moderates. They call themselves the conservative solutions now, but... Um, Jeez, always stealing our language. That's right. Right? Yeah. They're just like, they're the euphemism crowd, but they <laughs> don't have a majority of the Republicans. But with the Democrats, they have a majority of the chamber a lot oh, of times. Just like Kevin McCarthy in D.C. Oh, that's interesting. And, so so, you, so you, would, you would say that in Montana, in terms of the Republican guard, if you will, in the legislature, you actually have a majority of those Republicans that you feel are conservatives? So this time in the Senate or in the House, we had 68 Republicans mm -hmm. and probably 35 or 40 of them are conservatives. Man, that's encouraging. But with We're the Democrats there yet having or the Democrats have 32, the moderates have 25. Mm -hmm. They have a majority. Got it. And so that's why that's why people refuse to, to stand up to them. But I, I'm a different kind of person. So... I just went to him, and I meant to be having a really friendly conversation with the guy. He was sitting in his chair at the head of the conference table in the appropriations break room. He's the chairman of appropriations. And I meant to just kind of put my arm around his shoulder, but I missed. And so I had my arm around his head, <laughs> which I couldn't undo because, you know, you don't, can't go backwards. So you just roll with it. Now. I did. So I said, okay, here's the deal. I have always worked with you in good faith. I have never lied to you, and I need your caucus to vote for my bill today. To just get it to the Senate. That's all I'm asking. I knew it would die in the Senate, and I knew he had the votes to kill it in the Senate, and so did he. But being that 415 died on the House floor, all I really wanted, my entire endgame on, on 702 was to have it get to the Senate so I could get the senators on record voting mm -hmm. against it. I never thought it would pass. So when I went upstairs that day, he agreed with an amendment. So they put a crappy amendment on it, and I just said, this is fine. I don't care because I knew they would pass it. But what actually ended up happening is then the hospital made that big announcement that they were going to fire everybody. And I'm like, okay, screw that. All bets are off. So I went to his lieutenant, and I said, okay, I made a deal. I always operate in good faith, and I'm not trying to— to stab you guys in the back, but I just need you to know right now, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not leaving your amendment on. And if that means you're going to kill the bill, then, then kill the bill. But the amendment was exemptions. And this is a trap that a lot of people in medical freedom get stuck into is they amended the bill to say that it was not unlawful to require vaccines for employers as long as they honored medical and religious exemptions. Mm -hmm. But the trap that people don't understand that is, is once you say they have to allow exemptions, you have now given 
businesses who currently did not have any right to require mm-hmm. you to have a vaccine, you are implying, go ahead and require your restaurant workers to have to have a vaccine. Go ahead and require your farm workers to have a vaccine. Go ahead and require, you know, you'd have to have a vaccine to work at Walmart as long as you offer back exemptions, in which we all know that exemptions are denied all the time. <clears throat> yep. And so I told him, I said, I cannot leave that amendment on there. So if you guys have to kill the bill, then that's the honorable thing to do. I'm telling you right now, I'm taking that amendment off. And I went to Senate Public Health and I told them the same thing. I said, if you guys can't get that amendment off to table the bill and kill it, because I cannot put exemptions in state law. So that was a really hard decision, though, because up until that point, the only people in the country really who are allowed to be required to have a vaccine are school children and some hospital workers, which is just because they weren't allowed to, or they weren't not allowed, they were allowed. But it just was a really bad, slippery slope for me. But anyways, I got the bill, crossed the House floor, I got it to the Senate, and then the attorney general was on my side. The lieutenant governor was on my side. The lieutenant governor was in the gallery in the Senate when it passed. We picked up one Democrat because that hospital was in his district, mm. and the gallery was standing room only. Mm. I think the chair of the day about busted his gavel because they started cheering when it passed. But Now, I want to make sure there's some things we don't miss as a part of this because I, I really want our audience to hear this. And I remember you and I talking about back whenever this law passed. Number one, it, it the amazing thing I thought was, again, correct me if I'm wrong, in the House at least, it passed unanimously with Republicans. Yes. Incredible. <laughs> well, yeah, I got sixty I had sixty seven votes in the House. But that's because I went to their guy. Right. And, and I said got it done. So then after it passed, there were and this is where the rubber meets the road, right? We talked we we talked about and we've said before on this show, we have a significant lack of leadership um, here in Tennessee. So you passed this bill. You didn't just leave it then to the people to defend themselves. Once the bill passed, you were you were getting complaints. I think the attorney general's office or lieutenant governor's office, someone was getting complaints that there were still uh, corporations who shall not be named, whatever, still enforcing these mandates. And again, correct me if I'm if my memory is not serving me well here, but I recall you saying that there were some of these corporate entities and businesses that were getting calls from your lieutenant governor informing them that they were breaking the law and they should probably reconsider their actions. Yeah, she she was uh, outstanding. And Mm. as a matter of fact, the current director of DPHHS was at the time a great ally of mine as he was the health policy advisor to the governor. But the bill, the other thing that's kind of unique from other bills I've seen is we put discrimination against vaccination status in our human rights. Human code. rights. Yeah. And so the, it's not perfect. I mean, nothing's perfect, but it's pretty darn good. The recourse is to file a complaint with the Human Rights Bureau and they go to the business. But a lot of times we were able to to mitigate that by just having the lieutenant governor call giant big box store and say, hey, giant big box store, you can't do that in Montana. And they stopped. Kevin, can you imagine in Tennessee, right, if 
Not only we passed a law that defended the liberty of the people. But if our legislature, <laughs> attorney general, governor actually executed the law and, and let people know, hey, this is the law. Wow. How amazing would that be? Yeah, you, I, get, you get the impression, don't you, Gary, that in Tennessee, once they pass the law, they think their job is done. We're out. Right? And I think the, the businesses that violate the law, and, and in other cases individuals, I think they know that. So I think they know that they can still kind of get away with it as long as, the, you know, it doesn't matter what's on the books, but as long as nobody's calling me about it. So we'll, we'll move on from that. But just be, before we move on, to be clear, that law was enacted in 2021. Now, Representative Carlson, since the state of Montana now has been regulating businesses in such a way, are there still businesses in Montana? Are, 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 that's are, a really interesting. Or did they all have to <laughs> shut down? That's a really this. interesting question well. because not only are our businesses still in business, we had a lot of businesses move to Montana. No. Oh yes. Wow. We incredible. I got calls throughout that whole summer after that session from doctors, dentists, people who want to go to medical school. We we just opened a medical school in Montana. Um, nurses, people from other states saying, I'm moving to Montana because of your bill. Mm -hmm. What town should I go to? Where do you need nurses? Where do you need a dentist? Where do you need a doctor? And we have those people in Montana providing services that we did not have before. So, so in other words, the state, we recognize the state is willing to defend my individual liberty. I want to live there. Yeah, for sure. And then we had a lot of, we have a lot of people, this is kind of a this is two-sided coin, but we have a lot of people who move there and they work for their company in whatever state they're from right. remotely. And it's not super great for the service industry, put it that way, right? because they, they want a lot of services. They want restaurants and they want, you know, the coffee shops and they want all this, but they, so we still have to work out some of those kinks. But because we've become kind of a bedroom state, kind of like a bedroom community, we mm -hmm. have a problem with some of our small towns with providing services. But but I wouldn't say it's a bad thing to be collecting income taxes from people who are making a pretty decent salary, helping support our schools and our towns, bringing their business to Montana, buying stuff, renting things in Montana. Yeah. And they came there because they can and they were going to get fired because the, the other part of that is we have some national corporations who said, no, well, they work for us and we're located in Michigan or whatever. It doesn't matter. If you are in Montana, you are on Mon under Montana law. You have to follow the speed mm -hmm. limit, you know? Yeah, you can't I, say, I'm from, like, it would be like in, um, I go through Arkansas and through Texas a lot to go pick up my son from college, and the speed limit in Arkansas and Texas is 75, right? I can't come back in Tennessee and drive, you know, 77 miles an hour or something and say, but officer, I was only three, two miles an hour over the speed limit, because Tennessee is 70, right? So yeah. that's a really good analogy. And so that... That's why people are working remotely for these out-of-state companies because they are they're protected by Montana law. If you live in Montana, love it. Yeah, that's that's really good news. And you're and our attorney general, is not kidding. <laughs> so, come on. So, you you've also been through um, I think something interesting legislatively that's just fun to talk about educational for our audience. Because you don't see this every day as a legislator, where you you pass a bit. The legislature passes a bill, 
the governor of the state vetoes a bill. And that maybe happens more often than the next instance where then the bill goes back to the legislature and the legislature overrides that veto. That That's actually a thing that a lot of folks don't even understand constitutionally can happen. They believe that the executive can veto and, well, that that's it. That's the check. But there's an additional check typically, not only in the federal government, but our, our state constitution in Tennessee provides for that process and clearly in Montana as well. I'm just curious – what does that override power require? Is that a, a two-thirds vote in the legislature? Or what does it take for the legislature to override a veto so from your governor? On a bill that's vetoed, if it, if it originally received um, 100 votes in the entire legislature, it doesn't matter the uh, breakup of the 100 votes, but if it originally received 100 votes, which is two-thirds, then the legislature is polled if we're already gone home, which we were this time, that's political. But um, if we're still in session, then we're just pulled the next day in, you know, the regular way. But if we're out of session, then all legislators receive a mail ballot poll. And if it receives 67 in the House and 34 in the Senate, which is actually 101, so it's not really fair, but then it's overridden. So it's so yeah. So it requires a supermajority. Yeah, vote. but it has to it has to have received a supermajority to begin with. Okay. Okay. So what if it only passed by a simple majority and then receives a veto? You can't override it. Right. There's okay. no poll unless it receives hmm. that. You have to have met the threshold to even warrant the poll. Hmm. I gotta go back. Okay. I gotta go back and look at our constitution. I'm not. <laughs> I I don't think that's a requirement. No, and I don't think that's that way at the federal level. I've never heard of like a. It's kind of like a qualification. An, yeah, a qualification to when the veto cannot be overridden, hmm. other than just the normal two thirds afterwards. Right. And I'm, I'm not one hundred percent sure that that standard is the same if we're still in Helena. But in order for there to be a mail poll, a mail poll when you're out of session, it had to have received a hundred votes total the hmm. first vote, the the first time. That's also unique too. I've never heard of that. So you you call this a poll? So something. So I would think that the only way to override a veto would be that the general assembly. I'm guessing in our state would have to come back into session to to do it. Yeah, I, don't, I, I know don't, a lot of states have to actually have a special session. I think, and I think that would be our case. Yeah, yeah we there's nothing. We don't have a poll vote or something that that can exist or be voted on outside of a of a legitimate session of. Uh, well, I know the there general are going to be some bills on this topic. Because we're not, we haven't really made it to the century on here. So, so I definitely want to make sure we we talk about one of those, um, and it's this uh, child welfare, child protective services bill that we were talking about earlier. And I I want to bring that up because some of the other bills had to do with child welfare too, right? Not just not just the one we were discussing. There were three in question. I remember in the news that the governor vetoed. So three, the three bills of mine that got vetoed were. Two to dealing with the state mental hospital and one child welfare reform. And and I want to mention the child welfare reform bill because we've talked about our Department of Child Services here a bit on, on the show and have interviewed some folks because I think there's some wonky things going on there. And, and I, I just think it's important for our audience to know what's going on in other states. So currently in Montana, child protective services, I guess the court can create an order to take custody of a child. And Child Protective Services can then come and remove that child from a home without a warrant. They don't need a judge's order. They don't even need a court order. No. No. 
So explain that really quickly. So that's the problem. So in Montana, we st- starting like step one has problems. You can make anonymous reports in Montana. If they're egregious report, the department has to follow up on it. And I'm, it's really careful that people understand I am not opposed to protecting children. That's not the problem. Right. Because I get accused of that. But I'm all sure the that's time. the talking point. Yeah. yeah. We're once, also interested in protecting families from yeah, government overreach. Right. And so once they do their investigation or whatever and they determine in their opinion that child should be removed, they just go do it. There's no court order, there's no warrant, there's no judge, nothing. Once your child is removed in Montana until this year, until this July when the law goes into effect, you see a judge 20 days later. Wow. It's just really despicable. That's not due process no, by any stretch. It's not. And when I I was part of a child welfare fellows group of legislators for for the last 18 months before this bill was introduced and all the other states are looking at me like that's insane that's crazy why first of all there was a lot of weird stuff going on but no one can believe when I say that that's how it is but statistically we also know that 86 percent of children in Montana are removed due to neglect and neglect is pretty subjective right Right. and so I, I'm not trying to, you know, cast aspersions on caseworkers. I think they probably start the job thinking they want to help children. But parents have rights, too. Children have rights. Children have a Fourth Amendment right to be secure in their home. Mm. You can't arrest a person that stabbed a guy behind the bar last night without a warrant. And I was actually just talking to someone about kind of the the cerebral part of this conversation is the thing I've always said is, why don't they just arrest the parents? Because here's one of the popular arguments against my bill. Well, you have some parents that are strung out on drugs and the kids are outside and they're running in the street. Nobody's watching them and you won't be able to remove them unless you get a warrant because they're not at risk of being abused. And I'm like, okay, see, let's unwrap that. Your kid is running in the street. That's criminal endangerment. You're strung up on drugs and you, you can't care for your kids. That's a crime. So why aren't you just arresting the parent? Because they are committing crimes. You want to know why, Gary, they don't arrest the parents? What would they have to do to arrest the parent? They'd have to get a warrant. But they don't want to get a warrant. Oh, man. Path, so path of least resistance. So they arrest the kid, man. right? And then they incarcerate the kid in someone else's house. And they don't see their family no. or their kid or their friends or their neighbors or their teacher or their school or their coach or we're literally punishing the child for the crime of a parent or worse, we're removing a child based on allegations that do not have to even have judicial review. Wow. And am I, and I don't want to want to muddy the waters, but am I wrong to say again, a conversation we've had with a prior guest that Dependent upon how many children you quote unquote have in the system meets a certain threshold or requirement to receive federal funding for this program, right? In 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 not only Montana, in, in any state, most of these programs receive a significant amount of federal funding, which is which is tied to the amount of children oftentimes that you're bringing into the system. Yeah. So there's there's a bunch of things that go on federally. One is a very problematic law, which was under the Clintons, 
which was the Adoption Safe Families Act, which is the one you're referring to, where states receive a stipend from the government, from the feds, every time they remove a child. There's also a lot of money given to the departments called 4E money under the federal government that pays for certain services that they're supposed to be providing to these families. In 2000. It sounds like fees for friends. Um, I don't so, know what that so is, but that's what sounds pretty <laughs> good. So in 2016 or 18, I, I'm not sure on the year, the federal government passed the Families First Prevention Services Act or something like that, which was to reform the cash for kids. Okay. So that was saying that you're only going to get this federal 4E money for prevention services. In other words, preventing removals, upstream help for families so the kids can stay safely in their own home. And so Montana was very slow to adopt that. And we didn't really start fully adopting that until one or two years ago. But Montana is perennially the first or second on the list of removals per capita. At one point, I think in 2016, maybe we had 4,000 kids in the system, which is like four times the national average per capita. The other problem we have a have a big issue with in Montana is natives make about 6% of the population, 6 to 10, depending on what number you believe. About 38% of the children in Montana's child welfare system are Indians. Whoa. And so it's a very racist system too, but it's it's it goes back to that number where 86% of the kids are removed for neglect. So neglect, like I said, it's very subjective. Right. And you know me, totally politically incorrect person that I am. It kind of pisses me off because it's not that many years ago that in our state, people lived in tents. They were nomads. That that was their culture. And I'm in no way saying that we should have a lower standard for people. But at the same time, if the child is safe and that is how their family chooses to live, is it the state's job to take that kid and, and remove them from their culture and their family and from their home? In some instances, we're sending kids as far away as New Mexico, Utah, Wyoming for this care that causes so much trauma and so much future problems for these kids. And um, that's just if we're talking about the minority kids, but all kids have the same problem. So Only because the state has taken its own prerogative to right. then deem what is neglect and what is not. Right. And so the reason that this is so important to me is because we know this is not conjecture. This isn't some crazy activist talking point. Children who are involved in the foster care system have worse outcomes in education, in juvenile involvement, in mental health. I think that's just common um, sense. And knowledge. we know that. It's not, this isn't even something we should even have to say out loud. We know it. And so we know this, and not to quote Maya Angelou or anything on your show, but when you know better, you do better. And there's no excuse for the way we're treating these kids. We act like we care so much about children's mental health. We act like we care so much about families, integrity, parent, parental rights, um, all of these things. But we, we don't. We don't act like it. Right. Because what we do is not match what we say. And as a matter of fact, one of our um, 
Every time the governor vetoes a bill, it comes with a letter from the governor explaining why he vetoed it. He well, be- so but before you go there, so this bill passed the legislature, which would have created a requirement for CPS to attain a court order before removing a child. Unless it was an emergency. If okay. a child was at imminent risk, danger, right? Yeah. Then you don't need a warrant. That was that but, was clear. But that law passed and then that law passed with a hundred votes in the House. Holy cow. And forty two votes in the Senate. So almost unanimously. Yeah. And then your Republican governor vetoed it. Yeah. Why? And because he said warrants are untested. Wait. He means universally? I guess. I'm like, what, what a statement. War, warrants are part of our Constitution. We don't it's know a, how to use the these, whole Kevin. The fabric of our country. And he says they're Warrant. untested. I woke him up. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and we are not experimenting with this innovative public policy. Kev, you know, Kevin called a, a while back on the show. Kevin called me vociferous. <laughs> but I will tell you, I've, I've seen it lately in a few episodes. Kevin get a little a little fired up. Passion. <laughs> the veto letter went on to say that if this passed, it would be catastrophic. Wow. So I don't think that they showed Can I that. Ask a question about that. Yeah. Did he elaborate further on why it would be catastrophic? These sound like re- very general objections. But did he give any detail? Was there a footnote? Was there a, you know, refer research? To, yeah, re- refer to this research. Well, not really. It was more like Carlson's crazy, so I'm vetoing her bill. <laughs> yeah, that's what I suspected. I I didn't really have a good relationship with the governor or the agency this session. One of the problems that I have is I do kind of have a big mouth. And when something is stupid, I usually say that it's stupid. And um, some people don't like that. But it kind of all ties back into the work of my interim committee last session. We did a lot of work on reforming the state hospital. Montana's state mental hospital is the first state hospital to lose CMS funding, I believe, ever. The place is so bad that the federal government won't pay for it. So one of the other bills that got vetoed was, well, first, let me go back because I want to tell you in the veto letters where it said that... um you know, we're not going to experiment with innovative public policies and warrants are untested. The it's governor test. also Sorry. vetoed a, he also vetoed a bill that required parental notification of abortion. And the reason he gave was really stupid and it had nothing to do with the bill. But behind the scenes, I heard because it was 16 and under and they wanted it to be 18 and under, but they just conveniently forgot that a judge had already overturned that since... <clears throat> The age of consent is 16 in Montana. So a legislator rewrote it to 16. So we'd have something. Now we have nothing. But in that veto letter, he said, the sanctity of the family is paramount and parents have rights. And we do not separate families unless there's a compelling state interest. I was like literally from a different veto letter. So then there was another veto letter um, sort of contradictory. And they, you can tell none of them were written by the governor. Mm-hmm. They were all written by some department head who didn't like the bill. But they just contradicted each other. Another one was completely unrelated bill to require agencies to respond to legislative audit requests for information. So completely unrelated. But the reason that he vetoed that bill is we do not give agency employees 
the authority that is due to a judge. In other words, it is up to a judge whether the agency has to give the information to the auditor, which is not true, but that was the rationale. And all I could do is say, unless you're a caseworker for CPS, then you can do the judge's job. <laughs> then you all have all the power. Yeah. But so that was what's so frustrating to me is the vetoes all contradicted each other. And they really just had more to do with the agency doesn't want to change the way they do business. And super. But isn't, but isn't it the legislature that has the duty to direct the way the agency does business as the elected representative of the people? Yeah, that's how I read it. Right? That's how it works, right? <laughs> yeah. So. And and sort of as as we near the the kind of last segment of the show, I'd love to ask you about politics in Montana. Tell us about the the, the political atmosphere in Montana. You uh, just were reelected for your second term, right? Um, again, I believe, if memory serves me right, so you serve a term. You had a primary challenger. My first one. I ran against a sitting county commissioner. Okay, you ran unopposed the second time. I ran unopposed in my first general and my first, my second primary. So I didn't have a Democrat in my first race at all because the Democrat hasn't run, run in my district. So your challenge in your se- your second election was in the general by yeah, a Democrat. Right. Yeah. And that was a transgender activist police officer, as a matter of fact, because it was. It's like pick the, pick the <laughs> most unusual first time circumstances was a, a you can Democrat possibly. police officer. And I don't like really telling this story because I feel like I'm violating a child, but he went door to door and told people that they needed to vote against me because his child was on hormone blockers and I wanted to outlaw that. Wow. His child was a ninth grade girl and she had been on hormone blockers for two or three years. so disgusting And, and sad. And, but the part about it that just infuriates me is he's literally going door to door telling people this about his mm-hmm. kid. Well, so it got pretty ugly. By the, by the end of the campaign, my signs were all spray painted. On election night, they took a truck and ran over my billboards and ran, you know, back and forth over them. So they were completely ruined. And Sounds like something a kindergartner would do. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> the writing was pretty bad, too. So it was kind of like a kindergartner. It was pretty... It was... Is ugly, and then of course you probably saw we had Joan of Arc at the end of our session instigating a riot in our gallery. Wait, I didn't see that. I did. I did see that, and I get, and I, and I think got removed. Right, got ousted from well from the legislature. What happened is he had to go do the last week of the session from a different location because after before that um, he was just told that until you. Re- apologize to the body for um, violating decorum mm-hmm. multiple this times. This is a, a transgender representative, right? Right. Yeah. And um, he was just told that he had to apologize to the body for breaking decorum multiple mm-hmm. times. And he refused to do that. So the body voted to remove from the chamber. He was still allowed to vote, but he was not allowed to participate. Not because of his <clears throat> breaking decorum, but because of the Joan of Arc moment where he got all the the gallery was packed with transgender activists and, you know, people who want to let her speak. And they ended, were throwing stuff down on the body. And um, wow. they I think seven people were arrested. The Highway Patrol had to clear the clear the room. And so that's why he was removed from 
not allowed on the floor again. It's becoming quite a trend, isn't it? No kidding. State houses. Isn't it interesting to hear? I mean, we we've just we're, we've been dealing with that here in Tennessee. You might have seen and, and expelled uh, two Democrats, of course, which are which have now at this point. Um, They're both interim. Right? No, well, let's see. I don't think the general has happened. They've both won their special election primaries so far, <clears throat> and they will handily win. Oh yeah, uh, this guy re-election. will be back in yeah. his dress. And- so, but but it's interesting to hear this has happened. You know, yeah. this is Montana. You it's don't, a strategy. Yeah, you, you can tell. Yeah, well, he came from Washington. I, I think he, like he grew up as a small child in Billings, but then lived in Washington State. Came back, worked for the University of Montana, which is our liberal college, mm-hmm. and. Um, I really think sometimes I second guess what the Republicans did is we were super tolerant, not not in more like live and let live, you know, mind your business, do your job, stay out of our face with your issues. And we are just going to treat you like we would treat anyone else. But that is not good enough Mm -hmm. for them. They need to be front and center. They need us to use their correct pronouns. We need them to, you know, they need us to validate their bad decisions and if you don't then that that's what really makes you the bad person but just as a kind of some context there's an older guy i don't know he's probably 75 represents a super rural district in central montana he was a democrat legislator as a matter of fact like in the 70s or 80s but his legislator he's since become a republican his legislator like, I think he was on his deathbed, basically. So he quit. So this guy came. He's He makes me look like, you know, prim and proper. But he stood up and said something about these hippies. And they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And but whatever. They made him apologize because he said the word hell on the House floor. Mm. Another guy. Um, is there actually a rule that says? He yeah. Could, there, I mean, are there we, certain words, or is well, it just no, it's under just the discretion decorum. of it's the yeah. decorum? And you know, once in a while, like another guy on the Republican side stood up one day and said something about these potheads because he had a bill about not having pot shops close to certain businesses or whatever. So he stood up and he was kind of ranting about pot shops. So they made him stand up, or I don't even know if they made him or if he just went. Wow, that was kind of rude. So. In our chamber, it is not uncommon for someone to stand up and say, I just wanted to apologize. That was rude or I didn't mean it in a personal way or, you know, so that's not it was not uncommon because what Representative Zephyr said was this was on the transgender surgery for children bill, which we passed banning that. And he stood up and said that you Republicans, the next time you say your invocation, I hope you look down and see you have blood on your hands. And he was just like off the handle. And that was when he got gaveled down. And at that point, the chairman, the speaker, is not obligated to recognize any Mm -hmm. member ever. And so they protested that they... The, we stopped recognizing him to speak. So and, so two final quick questions um, as we close up. One, do you have currently and or is Montana currently considering any type of red flag laws in your state? Well, <laughs> there was one this session brought by a super liberal Democrat. 
the very beginning. Well, let me let me well let me yeah. rephrase the question. Actually, that that Republicans are considering. Oh in the no, state of no! I was just going to tell you the story is he closed on his bill. You know, he had a hearing. He opened on his bill. We heard from the public. He closed on his bill, and he was turning around to go sit down. The vice chair of judiciary moved to table the bill, and we tabled the bill before he sat down. There is no appetite in Montana for this. Good to hear. And final question: What do you think uh, quickly your your next big fight is in Montana? My, oh, I have one already. So because of redistricting, I mean, I figured you did this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, besides all the stuff that will be coming back, um, it's, we're going to have warrants. You know me; I'm not stopping till we get that. But first, I have to get reelected, and redistricting is done by the Democrats in Montana. This makes no sense. Wait. Regardless of the results every 10 years? Yes, and here's why. Here's why. <laughs> because we have... So the minority party is doing the redistricting. Well, that's not how it's written. So <laughs> how I it's, guess it's just the Democrats? So here's how it's written. How the Constitution sets it out is two Republicans appointed by legislative leadership mm -hmm. and two Democrats appointed by, you know, the minority leadership. Mm -hmm. And the fifth nonpartisan person is appointed by the Montana Supreme Court. Montana has the most liberal Supreme Court uh, in America. So, yes, redistricting is always done by Democrats, always, because that's just how the, the ball bounces. The court. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And wow. so my county, which the county elections in my county were, there's 114,000 people in my county. The countywide elections, like, school superintendent, county attorney, were all decided by around 200 votes. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty 50-50. The Democrats gerrymandered the out of my district, or of my county. We ended up with nine Democrats and two Republicans. Mm. We currently have four Republicans, House members. And one, she's rich. I'll we'll just say she's my friend, but she's, she's rich. So they just moved to a different county so she can run in a different county. But I have a primary with the other one. I don't know how it's going to go because he and his brother are both in the legislature right now. And the brother is married to a gal from a political family. Their political family. I'm crazy. And when is, <laughs> well, when is, the, when is your election? June. You'll win because you're feisty. Because And also, I think you're the first guest with, in, in post-production. We're going to have to bleep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> congratulations Congra jennifer congratulations <laughs> it was uh it was really awesome to have you on the show i i've always um appreciated getting to know you a couple years ago follow your work in montana thankful for you uh and uh, would love to get to know more of these freedom fighters across the state so we can we can work on that but thanks for coming yep. on. Thank you. Well, well, yeah, and I'd love to have you in Montana. Ooh, let's do I it. I didn't realize you've never been there. That's never really been. a shame. Never been. Yeah. Can't say the same for me. Kevin's I just been told there. you. I've he been drug, there. drug a camper through there. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom 
must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. 